Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. And joining me right now, she predicted that Trump was going to win. She predicted the blue wave that then brought in Biden. And she's predicting something for 2022 and 2024 that you've got to pay attention to. Let me welcome to the show for the first time, political scientist Rachel Bittacoffer. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, nice applause. <laughs> yes, warranted and deserved. So you're making a lot of waves out there in the streets because you have been uh, pretty much perfect in your understanding. So let's take it back, 2016. Um, what did you know then uh, that made it? I also predicted Trump was going to win because of what I was sensing on the radio with the people who were calling. I felt there was going to be low turnout among black folk. I th- think people thought Hillary was in the bag. I thought a lot of black people did not like Hillary um, and they weren't really you know, going to show up and they didn't. Um, and, you know, we didn't factor in that there was a, a plan when since Obama. That those eight years really bothered a lot of people. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, the, the fact is I wasn't into the prediction business <laughs> in 2016. I was just uh, starting my PhD and my academic career um, at a little liberal arts college teaching students about campaigns and elections and political behavior. But, um, you know, I was worried. Uh, it was very clear to me from the moment of the convention that there was a massive potential for third party balloting from these um, disaffected Sanders voters and that turnout might not be ideal. So when I ended up writing a post autopsy book about it, I say that the Clinton team, um, you know, Hillary Clinton's team executed pretty perfectly the wrong strategy, right? Which would have been to um, ignite the ticket with an exciting, more progressive candidate of color to make sure that those new um, Obama coalition voters stay engaged and to deal with this ideological war that had uh, broken out and tends to break out when a party is in power, right? Uh, So it's very clear in the data that the Midwestern states went to Trump not because he won them over uh, only he only cracked 50 percent in iowa and and ohio which are realigning away from democrats um in the others he won with a plurality and that's because an astounding amount of vote went to third party candidates in those states i mean even up to five six percent in wisconsin so um you know that's why so it is true that I've been right about a lot of things. I certainly wouldn't claim to be right about everything. The 2020 down ballot caught me, um, not, I wouldn't say surprised. Unfortunately, I was I was saying at the end, oh my God, they're not running any field. We're going to lose because <laughs> the Republican Party was running in-person field through the pandemic and registration through the pandemic. And, and obviously you don't want to do that, but if they're doing it, and they, they believe it or not, they, they are at war, right? Like they have declared war on us and particularly particularly colors of uh, communities of color. Um, and, you know, we don't, want, we don't want to fight a war. We're liberals, right? We want things to be about ideals and our better angels and John Meacham. But the fact of the matter is the other side is um, it's like the white, the last great gasp of white supremacy and they understand, like when, when Donald Trump became their ring bearer, that they could not triangulate on the issues of race and pursue the emerging demographic electorate. They got locked into this like white grievance track. And now they're riding that train like all the way to the station and they want to take us with them, dude. So like this is um, about getting people to understand. We're actually in much more democratic um, danger than we were even in January. 
uh, of 2020 when Trump was trying to hold on to the presidency because we still had things like uh, Bill Barr, believe it or not, the Justice Department and other high-ranking justice officials refused to do his coup. And, um, you know, the election officials in Georgia and Michigan certified the election in Arizona. Those people have all been wiped out now. The Republican Party is coming for us. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, this is this is so real. And, and it really is about power. Um, uh, I was in a conversation last week uh, with um, uh, Alicia Garza, one of the founders of, of, uh, of Black Lives Matter. And she talked about power is the ability to change the rules. Power is as much about governance as it is about winning. And when you have authority and when you have power, you can change rules. And fundamentally, that is what has been happening. Um, but it's also this idea, and so I, you know, I, I can't leave that Malcolm X quote out there, is that we have to be willing to do what is required um, to gain power, to advance an agenda around our communities, um, and then to change the rules. I mean, the conversation we're having right now, you talk about democracy being in crisis because of what's happening in the state legislatures. Um, democracy is in crisis because of inaction in the Senate around the filibuster. Um, and so when we start talking about the fact that we are, we are on the precipice of minority rule in this country, um, that you know, largely uh, straight white men in power with resources uh, have decided to change the rules uh, to make sure that we don't trample on the minority in the Senate, uh, while they want to make sure that a minority is the only vote that gets counted in the states, um, the future of democracy absolutely is in peril. Um, but the question to your point is not just about whether we're willing to do what is required um, to, to even have voice in elections, but are the people we're electing willing to do what is required once they're elected to serve our interests? That's what Malcolm was talking about. He wasn't talking about getting Democrats elected or getting Republicans elected. He's talking about making sure that um, the other definition of politics, who gets what, when, where, and why, that once somebody's in authority, they do what you need them to do. Uh, and this was the challenge of excitement or the lack thereof around Hillary Clinton. Uh, Strategy, um, though. You know, does she, does she serve our interests? We're talking with, uh, of course, Dr. Uh, Wilson, and we have Dr. Rachel Bittercoffer, uh, and you can follow her at Rachel, B-I-T-E-C-O-F-E-R on Twitter. Their strategy, though, right? They had strategy since Obama was elected to take over the local electorate, you know, because people don't show up for the local elections, right? They don't show up for midterms. So they were going to have a midterm strategy, local election strategy, and a court judges. They were focusing on the judges, which is why Mitch McConnell not allowing for uh, Merrick Garland to be seated, even though it was Barack Obama's choice to pick him and his right as president was so profound because they understood the power of the courts because you need someone to codify the laws. You need someone to make sure that this theft that you're doing, that there's somebody signing off on it that you put on that will owe you something, right? How, that's, that's been a 12-year assault. That's exactly right. I mean, demogra demographics are destiny unless you have different rules and different interpretation of the laws, right? So, you know, one thing I would say to Dr. Wilson is, it is true that Democrats have like a, um, a majority, right? A 50 seat majority in the Senate. But because of underperformance, even when the conditions were so right for the party in 2020, we don't have a working majority. Uh, Joe Manchin is in a Trump plus 35 state. 
it would be nice if we could get Joe Manchin to say, you know what, I don't need to get reelected. I need to do the right thing. And I'm certainly going to be personally pushing that message pretty hard in the next couple of weeks. But the fact is, he has no electoral incentive personally, and politicians are unfortunately self, um, you know, focused in, in into, um, you know, modifying the, the filibuster, right? But but we shouldn't even need his vote. We should have won the main Senate race and the North Carolina Senate race. If we had run the Georgia model in both of those places, and more so in Maine, it's a little bit of a quirk because you needed to make Susan Collins synonymous with Trump and the Republican brand, right? Letting her run as a maverick separate from all of that party baggage is like, you know, uh, such a, just such a mind-blowing strategic ineptitude that it, it caused me physical pain to watch it happen. And then, of course, it ends up costing, I mean, 30,000 people go and split their ballots, Biden, Collins, right? The GOP would have never allowed that. So my point is this, like, it is not the time to get frustrated about the lack of progress. It is the time to double down the effort. And, um, you know, like it or not, the, the, it, it sucks. Like the beast of burden, as always, falls on these uh, colors, uh, communities of color. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't fall to them. But the fact of the matter is democratic electoral fortunes hinge on the Black community's engagement, the uh, ability for Democrats to finally start to talk to and energize Latino communities. And this is one of many reforms that Strike Pack is trying to um, you know, build a, a separate infrastructure to achieve because the heart of the Democratic Party in many states now is the Black community. And, and, and the pathway with Senate seat in North Carolina doesn't run, doesn't run through um, people like Cal Cunningham. It runs through people like Raphael Warnock, right? That's right. That's so, right. Like, you're trying to get the party to stop reading or living in the 1980s, 1990s political science literature, which I am well-versed in. I mean, that's the status quo. Run Cal Cunningham and Blue Dog stuff. All that is, is um, reinforce the GOP's economic brand, which they don't even deserve in the first place because they're terrible for the economy and they've decimated the American middle class over 40 years, right? And, and, and killed our greatness, our infrastructure, everything about America that's great pretty much has been pooed on by the um, Reaganomic philosophy. So we really need to be marching in Really, we need to see this as like a 1963, 1964 moment in American politics. And every ally on the side of democracy, civil rights, equality, needs to be you know, joining hands, linking arms, and, and really following the footsteps of those great civil rights leaders who knew everything was on the line for them and put it out, left it all on the field. So tell us, um, we're talking with Dr. Rachel uh, Bittacoffer, and I want to have you back on relatively frequently as we lead towards 2022 because I need that drumbeat to be very evident. I need the strategy. I need to know where the pain points are. I need to know because it's a very vast, engaged audience. Which state should we focus on? Let's, you know, deploy whatever we need to treat it like war. Uh, and, and we can't be on our heels with this. We have to be on offense. So what does an offensive strategy look like? But what are you seeing right now if we do nothing? With with them now having control of the Georgia, uh, you know, state legislature in Florida and the, these states where where before, you know, they now have people in place who are willing to say Trump won. What do you yeah. see in 2022 and 2024 if we do nothing? I, I um, the reason I sacrificed uh, my academic and research career to build a super pack of all things, which I used to teach the evils of. 
Um, it, you know, really as a people's pack, there's nothing super about us economically. <laughs> um, but anyway, the reason I did all of that is I honestly believe this 2022 cycle and 2021, if you're listening in Virginia or California, are these are like basically battles for democracy, right? This could decide the whole war, in fact. Uh, it is true that they've put a lot of this suppression stuff in place and even um, you know, uh, mechanisms to overturn elections, which is why we should take them seriously, right? We should, they are showing us what they are and we should take that seriously. But I will tell people that if we, if we were to vote in the capacity of 2018, we will be able to beat them back here on this line. If we do not though, if we relax or we get too introspective, um, introspective if we allow them to distract us into things like CRT debates and da 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 da, then then we are going to be playing this game in their terms, which is they want us talking about that and not about their extremism that has overtaken the whole party, left Liz Cheney leadership positionless because she simply states the truth of a of a legal election, right? So we really we can hold them back here. We need good infrastructure like Strike Pack that's lean mean <laughs> and able to deploy like these um you know techniques without um you know the bureaucracy of the party establishment in the way but we also need every single person that's hearing my voice to believe that they can fight back that this is their selma moment right and that what they do each and every day every person they talk to every um thing that they do towards campaigns and elections um donations whatever it is it, it really is like a World War II collective right now. And we all need to be fighting and pushing this boat in the same direction. Yeah, I, I wanted to jump just past really quickly, uh, Rachel, as you talk about this, I also think about political homes. And there are people who don't feel comfortable with parties, right. but they need to be moved. Um, and, you know, candidates will come and go, as we've talked about. Um, this weekend, of course, we saw the, um, the culmination of the Freedom Rides, the Black Voters Matter Freedom Rides. Wanted to ask, about how important uh, these kind of political homes for people are, whether it's a local expression of the movement for Black Lives or uh, Black Voters Matter, and how, how important is it for people to get in, uh, to organize with and to support financially those kinds of organizations as we prepare for 2022, um, regardless of who the candidates are and how do people do that? So critical, right? So like when I talk about strike pack, building an infrastructure to run next, Certainly what I envision hopefully is being able to logistically support the grassroots organizations that are positioned in these communities. And you know, it may be Black Lives Matter, Black Votes Matter in Georgia, but in um, Arizona, the Latino community is just as crucial, right? And you know, the thing is that those are our best assets right now, those organizations like Fair Fight. Uh, and we yeah. just wanna make sure though, that there's no resource that's more valuable in our world than face-to-face -face contact with people, with voters. So when we are having that face-to-face, -face, like we need to convince people with our message, how what the stakes are of this cycle, that it is about, it unfortunately is about party, right? Because that's how the other side sees it. They are voting straight Republican tickets, even when the Republican party is nominating child ped pedophiles down in Alabama, right? And so like we are, are, are being forced into a world that we would not like to be in, where we could look at candidates on their merits and their character and, 
and what na- what have you. And I obviously, as a scholar of polar- polarization, hate hate that, right? But it is what it is. And as Rumsfeld once said, you go to war with army, the army you have, not the army you'd like to have, right? And we are in this position where we must, above all things, vote the full ballot Democrat right now, right? I mean, and that's the never Trump man- uh, mantra too, is, you know, vote Democrat, don't worry about this position or that. Right now, it is time to hold the line. It's like a Game of Thrones. Hold the door. Hold, hold the, the door. door. Hold the door. <laughs> hey, Rachel, thank you so much. I'm going to have you back on frequently. We're going to have, I hope you're available. Come back. Rachel, bit of coffer. Appreciate you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.